And I realized at this point that I was penniless. I went from a million dollar net worth to probably with the real estate uh, recession pulling values back by 50% to maybe a four or $500,000 net worth, having 150 grand in the bank to now nothing. Oh, by the way, they took all the money out of my bank account and applied it to that. So I literally went penniless. So not only did I call all my notes due, they took the little bit of money I had left and applied it to the mortgages. And uh, I literally went penniless. But anyways, it was just a cluster F. I mean, that's what it was. It just a lot of bad stuff happened because I didn't have a mentor. I detached myself and thought I knew everything. I kept on uh, doing what I thought I knew to do. And it got me in trouble because I didn't have people around me. I didn't know how to think clearly for myself. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. We've got a great guest today that we're going to dive deep into some short-term rental stuff and other things. But before we do that, if you want to be part of this tribe, be sure to go over to GoBundance.com. Whether you have a million net worth or not, we got a spot for you. Go ahead and apply for membership, and we'll make sure somebody gets in touch with you with the right membership for you. But don't don't wait. Jump in while you can. Uh, it's an incredible community, and it's done a ton for me, uh, and I'm sure it has as well for our guests. So Brandon Thompson is a father, a husband, a real estate investor with a storied history in real estate. He's the founder of Five Star STR Success, a course, a curriculum, a mastermind community, and a podcast. Uh, and he's here with me today as a GoBundance member. What's going on, brother? Hey, Jamie, doing well. Had a great day today. Just me and my dog all day long doing nothing. <laughs> That's what I was saying. You 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 sent the wife and daughters out. They have a nice girls' day out. You know, I'm thinking you've got this whole day to yourself. They're driving like two hours away to go shopping. Like, why are you recording with me right now? But I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> Great setup, by the way. If you're on YouTube, man, this is you could tell this guy does the podcast thing. It's all set up really, really well. So, um, so Brandon, let's get a little backstory on you. I know you're based in Atlanta. Are you from there? Just kind of give us uh, the quick two, three, four minute uh, uh, backstory on on how you came to be and where you are today. Yeah, yeah. So I'm born and raised in a community called West Georgia, which uh, one of your GoBundance members lives out here uh, right alongside me, Michael Blanc. Uh, he's oh yeah, my neighbor, about 10 minutes up the road from me. But yeah, I've been born and raised here. Been here my whole life. Can't seem to get out of this area. Um, just you know, I come from from uh, middle class, uh, lower middle class uh, area. I come from poverty, um, and uh, yeah, man. I mean, that's that's really it about my childhood. I mean, you know, I had I had a great uh, mother and father, and they're still both alive. Um, um, you know, they're still married, which is great. Uh, my wife, uh, her parents were great people, so she lived in a trailer park. I lived in a trailer park, and uh, a different one. And that was our upbringing. Somehow two trailer park kids got together. So <laughs> that's a little story of the first 20 years of my life, a little bit anyways. Yeah. Wow. So now when did you start the real estate journey? At what point were you, were you working a job or did you jump into it early? <clears throat> yeah. So I started, well, I was always in sales and kind of doing anything you can do to make uh, a dime over as a teenager. And I, I would sell blow pops on a bus. I would, you know, go sell pizzas, uh, anything I could do to make a dollar. Like, uh, like I said, started real estate, uh, after dropping out of college, I had a 4.05 in, uh, high school, graduated with a great GPA, had full ride scholarships, went to college for a semester and realized that Atlanta wasn't a great Metro market. It's just a booming market now. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's nothing that really interested me. And I was really interested in economics and uh, mass communications. And uh, there was no film industry here. And there was definitely nothing you do with the economy here. 
20 years flash forward, it's a different story, uh, but um, I just realized I just didn't like what I was doing. So I, I, um, I just kind of did a little bit of this and that a little wandering uh, self entrepreneur, uh, sole proprietor kind of thing. And Got in real estate at 20 years old. And, and, uh, you know, that's an interesting story too. But, uh, it was about 20 years old, uh, 20 years ago. Actually, I just turned 40 about a week ago. Oh, wow. Well, you say interesting story. Let's dive in. What's the story around you becoming a real estate agent at 20 years old? Oh, uh, yeah. So my wife and I, uh, I was, like I said, I was selling pizzas at the time. I had connected with a gentleman that owned a little Caesars and said, Hey, look, you know, um, my friend is selling pizzas. Uh, with you. And, and I would like to do the same thing. So a buddy of mine, he's like, look, I've got the hook up here. My father is the manager of this little Caesars chain. The owner, he's allowing me to come in in the mornings to prep all these pizzas, uh, pay him $2 for cost. He can take a tax deduction or a loss against his income. And, uh, you know, I can go out and sell it, uh, sell these pizzas for five, $6 and make some cash. So I'm like, yeah, you know, let's do this. So I went in and did that for quite some time. Uh, for about a year and a half, I was I was uh, selling pizzas. Uh, went in and and he moved away. Uh, you know, stopped doing it. But I stayed working with the owner of this franchise here, and uh, you know, he he allowed me to buy these prop. I mean, these pizzas, two dollars a uh, pizza. Uh, we were wholesaling them for you know, here's your real estate language, <laughs> wholesaling them at Georgia State. I would go into where everybody's hungry in the middle of the day, where where uh, students were hungry at Georgia State University. And I would go to uh, warehouses and I had these pizzas between, I would raise the prices to six, seven, eight, ten dollars. Wow. Uh, and I was making like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars a week as a 19 and 20 year old kid. Uh, but there came a point where um, I, I ran into a mall. I would, I would have a few pizzas left over at the end of the day. I needed to get rid of them. There's a lot of people in the mall at the time. Nobody's in the malls anymore. But uh, at the time, I would go walk into the malls and I'm like, I have all these leftover pizzas. I need to kind of like lower my prices and just dump them before they go old. And, and I went into the mall and I ran into some people that I knew that graduated with me. They were smart people, some friends, some associates, um, but they all looked like they were doing really good. And this is a couple of years after I graduated and they're very close to finishing up four years in five years, you know, it's kind of stuff. They could be out of school very soon and have a good income and a good job. And I'm sitting there in a pizza outfit, holding pizzas, selling them uh, at 20 years old and realize this isn't for me. Uh, so I had that record. I had that thing. It was embarrassing to me. Um, much like riding in a beat up old truck that you just, yeah, you're done with, you got to get rid of it. So for me, I, I was doing that. My wife was working at a metal company that manufactured gutters at the time. We had just gotten married at 19 and 20. Wow. I was, was going to say, you're calling her your wife. Then you were married at this point. Yeah. We were high school sweethearts actually. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so we we dated at 15 and 16 and kind of uh, got married at 19 and 20. Mm. But we uh, we got married and uh, I was doing that. She was working for the aluminum co uh, company that was manufacturing gutters. And I, I I just didn't really like our life. You know, we just weren't making a lot of money. And it just was like, oh, we dropped out of college. Both of us did because we just didn't have a lot of money. So she dropped out of technical college. She was going to be an RN. And I got to the point where I just got to do something. So. I said, you know, I heard about this thing called flipping houses back in the day. And I realized like, this is very interesting to me. So I called my buddy that introduced me to his, uh, the, the little seizures thing. He said, Hey man, do you want to go into flipping houses? I heard it's like something to do, but granted, you got to think this is before social media. This is like 2002 ish this before, or 2003, something like that. 
was before social media. It was before HDTV, really. You know, you didn't have the, uh, you know, shows. So nobody really knew what flipping houses was. It was kind of like a secret society. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's like, no, I'm good. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> so I started re- I started looking into it. I'm like, well, um, I'll have to figure this thing out. This is going to be hard. In the process, my wife and I, Tiffany, we, we contracted a home in our hometown community. And we met up with a real estate agent. She showed us three homes. Uh, we bought a home. We, she, I, I looked at the settlement statement at the end of the day when we bought the home, like 30 days later, and she made like a $7,000 commission. I was like, oh my God, this lady made money for doing nothing. At least it looked like it. Uh, you know, I've been a professional agent and uh, own a couple of brokerages too. So it's a little bit more than that process. But from the eye of the holder, I'm like, she made easy money and she didn't have to do shit. <laughs> Pardon mm-hmm. my French. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. very, very interesting. I realized that I am going to become a real estate agent. So I became a real estate agent. I got my license after about six to eight weeks. I went into these classes, got my real estate license and decided that uh, I was going to go work and, and become a real estate agent. But I wanted to learn flipping. So that's kind of the backstory behind it. I, I saw this lady making easy money in my eyes. Um, I realized that the the stuff that I wanted to do was not what I wanted my life to be like. And I was getting embarrassed with my situation and frustrated in life already at an early age. And then and, and it <laughs> helped my transition to do something a little bit better for myself and my uh, future family. Now, how, how, how natural, if, I mean, you're, you're pitching pizzas and buying buying a house based off of your pizza money essentially at this point which is amazing right like you, you obviously have a gift of of uh, of entrepreneurship of course but sales as well so how natural a fit were you as an agent and i guess the the real question behind that question is how long were you doing kind of retail agent work if at all before you started to really kind of catch catch fire on flipping so I, I got my license. Uh, I think it was like May of 2003 or 4 I have to, I, have to, I would have to go look but within six months, I was making a few thousand dollars here and there. And I was like, man, this, I don't like this. This is kind of, you know, I, I do like sales and I do like getting invested in people's lives. And I, I had a good time with it, but I realized that I wanted to set out and do investing. Uh, and there was no mentors and there was no online curriculum. There was none of that back then. So I heard about two brothers who had owned a real estate brokerage next city over in my community of West Georgia. So I moved my license. I moved my license purposely. Uh, and and this is kind of what I'm re- pretty good at, honestly, is identifying who the most popular person or who the most successful person in the room is. And if it's something that I have kindred, uh, ex- kindred like-mindedness with, I will go in and associate with them, figure out a way to serve them more. And then we become buddy-buddy and then I learn what I want. So um, kind of like the influence effect, kind of like the tribal mentors i like i yeah. realized that early on so i found out about these two brothers i started working for them i started making them money and i was an agent but i also told them i said hey i understand that you guys are flipping houses and you guys are doing really really well with it i would like to flip houses too uh, is there any way you can get me into this so one of the two brothers one of them ran the brokers the other one ran their flipping and investment business their rentals and flipping business he said hey look uh yeah that's fine Granted, I was 20 years old at the time. He's like, let me take you over to my banker. Uh, this is back when community bankers would give anybody money. And that's what got us in trouble in 2008, obviously. <laughs> but he's like, let me take you over to my banker and you know, I'll vouch for it. I said, okay. So he took me into his community banker, told the guy that, hey, look, uh, I'm going to look over his shoulder. I'm going to watch over him. 
And the guy's like, stamp of approval. Yep, you got money. Go buy you a couple of houses. So I started buying a couple of homes. And uh, I pushed my uh, broker away, kind of decided I didn't need a mentor, which is probably the dumbest thing in the world. And I went in straight into flipping houses, learned the, learned the trade uh, as the school of hard knocks. And it was probably the best and worst thing that I could have done because it probably ultimately led to my demise in 2008 because I didn't really know how to manage money and risk and and liabilities and stuff uh, or and or good debt, if you call it good debt, but it became bad debt for me. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I started flipping about 10, 15 homes a year. And then that's kind of how I got into that. Uh, wow. All right. That's a great open loop. We're going to dive into the flipping and then what happened in 08 and all of that. But I want to go back to one thing you talked about, which was um, you you find the person in the room. And if I love what you said. I don't find the person in the room. I didn't hear this anyway, that you do this. Uh, that's the most successful. And then I, I attach to them. I'm, I become parasitic. There's a there's a, a standard that you put in the middle of that, which was, and I have a kindred connection, I think you said, right? Like yeah. I actually resonate with this person. So that was one thing that I thought was really, really key and really essential that I loved hearing you say. And then you said, I figure out how to add value to them. Can you stay there for a moment? Sure. What do you mean by that? How do you do that? What does it mean? I find out a way to add value to them. So my life has always been about serving others. You know, I'm not the most, most wealthiest person in the world. I'm not the most... Uh, um, whatever, but I am a very giving person. And I don't mean that say to pat myself on the back, but I, I really like try to give them in my community here in today's time. But even back then and or, you know, wherever I can add value, and I'll do it a lot of times for free and, and for no gain. But it's it's going back to the story you're talking about is I realized back then because I came from nothing, um, I didn't have a lot and nobody really helped, you know, mentor me or or or, or guide me per se, I realized that I needed to find out who was successful. And if there was something that we we're both interested in, how could I attach myself to them, but also help them and serve them so that I can get that, that uh, information, that clarity that um, uh, so I can discern off of, off of them. Sure. Yeah. And so with what I did with these guys, uh, those two brothers was I became the top sales agent in the brokerage and then for the brokerage uh, brother. And then for the other one, I started assisting them, helping them. He had a lot of clients that wanted to buy homes for investments to flip with them. So I started helping him with that. And, I, and he was often his load so that he was, a, he was also an agent. It's often the load to me so that I can help him, um, you know, with his splits and make extra money, uh, which will free him up to go further his investment business. But for me, it was like, Hey, I'm serving him. Like I'm helping him have a uh, free time so that he can focus on what he valued at the time. And in, in response to that, he would tell me as much as I needed at the time. Like I said, I, it was kind of a hybrid. I, I kind of like, I didn't, I didn't allow them to invest in me as much as I probably should have back then. Cause I'm like, no, you know, nobody's gonna get in my way. I'm on a mission. I'm gonna succeed. But at the same time, I did try to add value to them and uh, you know, help him out. And he decided that that was enough. And hey, I'm gonna vouch for you every time. And any any good deal that I can't uh, buy that I'll uh, pass over, uh, you can have it. I'm gonna help you. You know, get a get a rental portfolio. We're gonna help you get into this and that. So in 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 return, he did a lot of that for me and hooked me up with it, a couple other bankers. And then once he set that up, I no longer realized that, I mean, I realized that I no longer necessarily needed helps anymore. And that's kind of where I screwed up. That's where I meant I probably screwed up and I kind of like pushed everybody to the side. I was just young and dumb. Yeah. Sure. Um, so by, by uh, 22, I had 20 rental homes yeah, and wow. uh, I was flipping like 20 homes a year. 
like, hey, I'm King Dingling. I'm gonna go do my own thing and kind of let kind of did. Uh, and it was okay. They were like, hey, you're you're still the number one agent uh, and and uh, you're doing well. But if I had thought about it more, I probably should have stuck with them a little bit longer as long as I could because they had that they had that older man's wisdom and I had young man's zeal and sometimes zeal can obstruct you from you know wisdom <laughs> and and that's 100%. what happened I think yeah yeah I'm curious now and we'll, we'll get to 08 but do you do you find um that do you recognize when you're maybe uh repeating the pattern of you know uh chest out young man you know the bravado or whatever I mean you're older you're wiser I get it but is there does that still show up in your life at any point uh the 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 um that bravado that you realize could be taking you down the wrong path yeah, yeah, I I um sometimes when <laughs> when sometimes when business gets really really good, you get bold chested, want to, you know, bang your fist on your chest and yeah. you're in growth mode, you're in growth mode until something like uh what's happened this year, which we all knew was going to happen this year in the uh economy, but there was a major shift in paradigm. Um for me, I had a lot of uh I do a lot of burr strategy for my short-term rentals. And I got really, really aggressive last year because I just had to have like 25 boutique homes and we'll get that story later. But I, I grew really, really fast from eight homes last year and walked away from my flipping business of uh, 19 years mm -hmm. and and decided I'm going all in in short term rentals. And I grew up from eight to 25 homes in, in a year mm -hmm. and I went crazy. And, you know, then we had that paradigm shift earlier this year. So that's part of the reason why I shut down my podcast temporarily. I'm about to start it back. But in April, when things were starting to move with some hikes and, and interest rates and things like that, um, lending started tightening up. And I had a bunch of properties on bridge loans. And I'm over here having PTSD of what happened to me in 2008, where right. a lot of lenders pulled back and they kind of led to my ultimate demise because I was, um, you know, not really, really careful. The difference was this time I was uh, I had a lot more cash. I've got a lot more affluence and influence. Um, and credibility and a track record. So none of that ever happened. And, uh, but my heart was elevating a little bit. My heart rate was kind of scaring me. I'm like, I'm just really, really stressed. Uh, mm. so I had to do what I had to do over the last three, four months to get my stuff stable. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of gotten me, uh, I wasn't going crazy, but it's, um, you know, I've got a, I got a thing on my wall. I know you can't see it, but it came in the mail from Michael Blanc. It says in your moments of decision and your destiny is shaped. Um, I had to, I had to make some decisions not to go down that path again. And, and, uh, you know, I decided to safer. I'm, I'm a little bit older now and I got family and I'm not going down that path again. So just, yeah, yeah, well, kind of Michael, uh, Michael, like you shares, it sounds like, um, uh, a turbulent 2008, 2009. So take us to 22, take us to 2008. By that point, what did your portfolio look like? What did your flipping business look like? And then, and then, you know, kind of take us through that time. What happened? What did you yeah. learn from it? So by 2008, uh, you know, I, I, well, you don't know, <laughs> but uh, I had gone in and created a, a one-stop shop for investors. I never had my own brokerage at that point, but I was you know, the number one agent for ERA uh, a couple, two or three times in, in a row, as well as the previous brokerages. I was always just like really, really aggressive in my sales. And I did that. I built up a team. I also built up a, a mortgage uh, sales team. We were doing loan originations for first-time home buyers. I had a remodeling company. Uh, we had our, I think I stopped at like 21 or 22 rentals. And like by the time I had that many, we were self-managing and it was really, really tough. Um, like that's enough. I don't need any more. 
And we were also flipping, I don't know, 25 or 30 homes a year. So by 2008, I had uh, got uh, paired up with a buddy of mine in church uh, who became my future business partner, uh, now my former business partner. But him and I started uh, wholesaling together. I kind of taught him how to, he had, he had flipped one property at the time and uh, we got paired up through church and and really had a really good like hindered uh, like spirit with each other. So we started working together and, and I was his agent. My team was his agent and we kind of streamlined things for him, hooked him up with some of my bankers. So now I'm his mentor. Uh, he paired with me after doing one flip and realized that I made life easy. So now he can do, you know, multiples. And we started working together and then it starts slowing down a little bit. So we started wholesaling a little bit. Mm-hmm. Then by the time 2008 hit, um, I had 20 rental, like I said, 20 plus rental homes. And there were long-term rentals. 2008 was a mortgage crisis. And I was a 27-year-old kid at the time. And I was a multi, I was self-made millionaire on paper anyways, but I probably had like 150 grand in the bank. I, I, I just kind of, I, I wouldn't say I lived life uh, high on the hog or anything. I didn't really travel. I didn't really have like exceedingly nice things, but I just didn't build cash. We, I guess we spent money a good bit. I don't, I, very rarely can remember. I can't really remember what we spent a lot of money on. I don't really remember having a lot of lavish things, but we, I guess we spent a lot of money and I was always kind of chasing Peter PayPal kind of thing or paying Peter to something. However that saying goes, I was always doing something. And then mortgage crisis hits and it affected not just real estate people, but everybody uh, like a major, it was worse one step away from a depression essentially. Uh, and, or it was a very, uh, it was a depression, right. but my renter stopped paying me. Um, so I'm, I'm having to pay mortgages month in month out, uh, within six, seven months of 80% of my renters, not paying me trying to, uh, do foreclosure and get renters come back. I mean, not foreclosure, but evictions to try to get more renters in. Nobody's wanting to rent. No, nobody can afford my rent. So now I'm having vacant homes. Next thing you know, I'm having HVACs go out and roof problems from storms, people stealing stuff in my vacant homes. So one cataclysmic effect after another. So I ran out of cash. Uh, I got down to like 30 or 40 grand in the bank. I'm like, man, this isn't good. Mm. I told my wife, we're a few months away from bankruptcy and this is not good. So we had, uh, we started working to rebuild our rental portfolio back up to get people um, renting uh, the homes again. But then it got really, really bad. Now it's just like, you know, it was coming, it was coming fast. Now it just the economy stopped. And um, we ran out of money. We run down to like seven grand in the bank. So I called my wife or I told my wife, I said, Hey, uh, we're going to have to call these tenants up. I don't want to be like those bad landlords that we hear uh, in the news. Cause you're already here starting to hear about it at the time. Like they're running, they're, they're having you pay the money every single month. And then next thing you know, the sheriff in late 2008 was knocking on people's doors into early 2009 and telling the tenants that, the landlord ran off of the money. You're gone. And they're like, oh, my God, I paid every single month. I can't believe it. I didn't want to be that guy. So I mm-hmm. called all of my renters up and I said, hey, this is <laughs> this is uh, not good. This is kind of where I'm at. I'm going to try to work on things, but I don't want you to pay next month's rent. I'm going to try to figure things out. But if not, I might be going into bankruptcy and uh, I'll kind of give you a heads wow. up if something changes. But for the time being, don't pay me next month. In fact, don't pay me for the next two months until I figure things out. And if you can pay me, pay me. But if you don't want to, don't. Nobody paid me, yeah. which is what I allowed them to do. Um, and I kind of realized at that point, like, damn, I, I don't see any way out of it. I didn't have 
uh, tribal millionaires. I didn't have, uh, you know, people around me to guide me. I'm like, man, I felt limited and it was caused my own sphere of influence, which was very little at the time. And it, it was, it was scary. So I, I, um, I had a call from the bank. I had four community bankers that I was working with. One of them said, you need to come up here. Uh, we need to have you talk to, uh, each other, uh, or we want to have the president of the bank talk to you. I did a lot of business with this particular bank. I'm not going to name their names, but, um, but anyways, I went to the bank and I found out my operating account, which was also, and, and my personal account, um, probably seven and three grand at the time left. They, uh, they take my money. They took my money because my renter had called, had looked after I made that call, one of my renters called and found out where I housed uh, that mortgage with them. Uh, at this particular bank and told them that I said I was going into bankruptcy. So uh, they had probable clause in their um, uh, <laughs> mafioso type of, of paperwork back then. Yeah. And they called my uh, notes to you, <laughs> which was crazy. That's like, look, I have the money. I'll pay you right here. It's like a $1,500 mortgage. You're like, no, we, we understand you're going into foreclosure. Um, I, mean, I mean, you're going into bankruptcy, but who told you? And they told me what happened. I said, my renter's crazy, but at this point, uh, I'm already a couple of days late. I said, look, let me pay you. Um, and they're, they're like, no, 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 no. You, you're, we don't want your money. We called your notes due. And uh, because of that, now we have a cross collateralization clause. We're calling your primary residence due, which I had my, at the time, the home was like a quarter million dollar home. It's probably worth about close to a million dollars now at this time. Um, but mm. uh, I had to pay down to $7,000. I guess that's probably where I was putting a lot of my money. I was just paying down uh, debts um, that I was going to keep long-term. And they said, look, you've got your mortgage paid down to 7,000. We've got this thing appraised. We've done it behind the scenes. It's worth X. We've, we can recoup our investments here. Oh, so we're going to cross co collateralize everything. You got 30 days to pay us off. And, or if you don't, um, we're going to, uh, call foreclosure and then we're going to sue you for a judgment i said well that's not good i said let me see what i can do to get these taken out of your bank oh shit yeah yeah so i i went to all of my bankers uh that i was using and i had already gotten out of the mortgage business uh, at the time but uh i called i called uh different community bankers as well as long-term uh portfolio lenders. Uh, and they said look you know we can't refinance anything not in your primary residence i'm like why i've got great credit I'm not, I'm not late on anything yet. And, uh, you know, as far as they knew, I had more money in the bank, but why not? They said, well, nobody's lending to real estate investors. That's your occupation. Nobody's lending to real estate investors at a time. So I tried that three or four times. I literally took the denial letters, went back to the bank in about a month said, Hey, this is where I'm at. And I had, uh, by this time they called another meeting. They had the whole board of directors for this specific bank. Um, and then those guys called my other banks because they, they could look up in a deed search and find, uh, what other properties I own and who the lenders were. So they called all my other banks. Next thing you know, I'm getting slapped with, um, these guys saying, Hey, we've called your other banks. We know that you're running out of money. You can't get these out. Obviously you showed us here after I showed them the denial letters, we are calling foreclosure and you owe us the money and uh, we are going to slap you with a judgment and we're going to go after you and garnish your wages and any future jobs you get. And I'm like, wow, these guys, I brought them a lot of business. Cause first of all, I, I, I brought them a lot of business cause I had a bunch of investors. I was teaching how to do what I did at the time. Like I said, I had a one-stop shop and, and I realized at this point that I was penniless. I went from a million dollar net worth to 
probably with the real estate uh, recession pulling values back by 50% to maybe a four or $500,000 net worth, having 150 grand in the bank to now nothing. Oh, by the way, they took all the money out of my bank account and applied it to that. So I literally went penniless. So not only did I call all my notes due, they took the little bit of money I had left and applied it to the mortgages. And uh, I literally went penniless. So I said, guys, I'm going to file bankruptcy and you're not getting a penny from me. And I walked out. I literally looked at every adult in that room and said, look, this is not good. You're causing me to do something drastic that I don't want to do. I was trying to prevent it. And this is where I'm at. I just wow. couldn't think through things. And, you know, I wanted to work with you. I said, look, you know, when I did tell them previously in the last meeting, I said, look, I will find you renters. Give me a postponement. Work with me. But at the end of the day, I signed in a, uh, looking back on it, I signed an agreement. I did not fulfill my terms to the agreement. Business is business. They had every right to do what they did. They didn't work with me. And I was a victim of my own circumstances, I guess, and mm -hmm. the product of the times, uh, much like many people were. But it made me realize now later on in life, now, you know, with risk, you got to have mortgage. I mean, you got to have money in the bank and you got to have a lot of money in the bank. You put this kind of exposure on your back like I have now, uh, as well as um, you need to be strategic and not just buy everything that you can buy because I had a lot of dud properties. And then a lot of times, uh, I didn't say this before, but I had refinanced out a lot of these properties. Back then, they would give you 100% uh, loans, even mm -hmm. uh, no-doc loans, 95 to 100% of value. So my mortgages were really high, and they're kind of reflective of the same interest rates we have now, 7, 8, 9, 10% uh, for investment loans. And I had 100% of value. So when people stopped paying me, my mortgages were high, and they were just stacking up, and I had no money in the bank. But I'd already taken that money out, and I was applying it to my debt that I thought was good debt, which a primary residence is not really a good debt. Um, but anyways, it was just a cluster F. I mean, that's what it was. It just a lot of bad stuff happened because I didn't have a mentor. I detached myself and thought I knew everything. I kept on uh, doing what I thought I knew to do. And it got me in trouble because I didn't have people around me. I didn't know how to think clearly for myself. Um, what I do like about GoBundance now being in for a year, uh, as well as you know being around other people over the last 12, 13 years, 14 years now, I, I surround myself with like-minded entrepreneurs. I surround myself with people way smarter than me. And I talk about stuff. I don't leave stuff on my chest and hide if I'm embarrassed or whatever. I've, I'll tell people what I'm dealing with and people actually care. And mm -hmm. I guess I didn't realize that back then. And if I had that mentality uh, and maybe those friends, that network, I probably wouldn't have gotten in that mess. That's kind of what happened. And, uh, you know, literally, the outcome of it, and I'll end with this, went penniless overnight, I called my wife up, um, said, hey, I'm driving back an hour to the house, but this is what happened. We literally have no money in the bank. She she fell down crying. Like We had a 4,500 square foot house on the golf course, a beautiful lake in the backyard, some really nice cars. That was all we spent our money on was just nice cars and 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 nice stuff uh, with uh, the house, not really clothes or anything or, or stuff or trips at the time. But I said, it's gone. Like we're gone. It's gone. So literally within a period of a couple of months, we literally went penniless, lost everything. I ended up having to go rent a house from a friend and poverty became real again. Cause like I said, we both originally grew up in two separate trailer parks. So now it's like, we're going back to the trailer park. And that was the scariest thing for both of us. We understand and remember the life we led with our parents in, in poverty. And dude, we were so poor uh, when my parents were, were raising me uh, up to eight years old before they moved out of the trailer park to a small house that I grew up in. After that, we were so poor that they spent all their money to buy a pizza. And then somehow my dad accidentally dropped it 
on the ground and it had dirt all over it. And he picked it back up and showed my mom and they just dusted it off and we ate it with grit and dirt. So it was, uh, you know, I'm kind of having those kind of memories coming back to me at that time. And I'm like, man, this sucks. Wow. And it did, you know, so you also, I wonder, you also had, um, uh, there's the, there's the obvious, like, you know, your life is changing for you and your wife and it's, you know, you fear going back to being poor, but you mentioned you were mentoring people, right? You had a brand, you had a, you were known for being this guy. So on top of your own demise for you and your wife, right? It's very public as well, which was harder to deal with. Yeah. Well, well, obviously you're making promises to your bride and, and then you build something and then you watch it tear down away. You know, the good thing was a lot of my friends at the time and still uh, some of them are still my friends. Uh, they were from church. I was really, really big, big into uh, the church at the time. And a lot of them were church friends and they, some of them were entrepreneurs, but we're all like kind of social proprietorship entrepreneurs. And um, in that S quadrant, like Robert Kiyosaki talks about and, you know, uh, they were just like, dang, Brandon, you taught me how to do this and you're losing everything. Like, oh my God, why are they doing this to me? I'm like, they wanted to make an example of me so that you guys wouldn't, you know, have the same problems I went through. And, um, so I realized what happened. So they had respect for me. They had respect for me. I was probably like, yeah, I was the only one that went down. I had probably like 12 investors who also went to my church that I brought there and I built up their portfolio. I didn't, I'm not gonna take sole credit. But I built up, helped them build up their portfolio and none of them got hurt. Like I got hurt. And so, you know, reflecting back on it, they did do what they did because I was bringing a lot of business there and I was the go-to guy mm. with the reputation and they were doing that to scare uh, tactic everybody else that nobody went through the same stuff that I went through, or at least try to survive as long as possible. And nobody did. Everybody uh, walked away fairly unscathed. I was the one that got, um, uh, knocked down. Yeah. How are you paying your friend for rent? How are you paying for food? How are you paying for any, anything at that point? So that's, that's, that's good. So yeah, good question. 2009, after we had already moved into the rental house, renting a house from a friend, uh, I went from making six figures a year to maybe high six figures a year to or actually high 100 six figures a year, um, to maybe 30 grand in that first year. And what I did was, I was a trained agent. I started doing broker priced opinions. I had been a real estate agent for quite some time. I realized I didn't want to get into sales. Uh, I didn't want to work for people. I don't want to get into investing. So I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start my own brokerage. I've been in long enough. I can start, I can become a broker, not just the agent slash salesperson. I can own my own firm. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm just really, really just like, leave me alone. So I got my broker's license, started my own company called Swift Change Real Estate, and I started doing property management for banks. I, I, there again, like I said, I'm like, I try to attach myself to some of the smartest people in the room who does certain things. So I, for a short stunt uh, or stint after I lost everything, I did go work for another brokerage uh, for a few months and I found out where they, they were getting a lot of their business and foreclosure leads and uh, signing up with the banks and stuff. So I did that. And then I realized I want to get my own brokerage. I don't want to be around people. Let me do my own thing. So I started my own brokerage, left them, started my own firm, started getting broker priced opinions. Uh, my wife would do the CMAs at the time. She wasn't trained in real estate, but I trained her. Um, so she would do those under my name and I'd go out and take pictures all day. And then we would also help some of these prior investor relations 
that I had worked with helped them rent out their houses and do some property management. And, uh, you know, we made 30 grand in that first year. And it was for somebody that wasn't used to it, it was very hard to adapt. And we always had food on the table and we always had our needs met and our friends always showed up to, you know, bless us on a trip or this or that. And, um, so I don't really felt like we lost anything in life, but probably came more closer. And of course my wife and I had already had one kid and then we just, uh, had our second at the time. And, uh, it was a really interesting time. Uh, I built something new and we started getting a lot of, a, a lot of foreclosure listings now. And after, after one to two years, we're, we're getting a ton of foreclosure listings. And that kind of led to me getting back into real estate investing again, because I was getting a lot of pocket listings and we we're seeing a lot of behind the scenes deals. So I called up my old buddy and said, Hey, we need to go into business again. Here's what's going on. And that was, that kind of moved us from that, that section of life to the next. Uh, I know I kind of went a little bit forward versus your question, but no, I'll show okay. you a little bit of a narrative there. Well, uh, but going back, yeah, no, that's fine. The the bankruptcy, when you start the brokerage and everything else, how did that impact your ability to sort of, you know, build businesses from that point or did it at all? I, I realized back then I don't want credit. I don't need credit. I, I quickly, I quickly um, realized I need to rebuild credit. But my goal was to never have credit and utilize debt again, which I use debt all the time now, but um, yeah. I do it in a smarter form and fashion. But yeah, I mean, at the time, I, I I just did everything with cash. If I couldn't live within my means and have some money left over, I just wouldn't do or buy. Um, so that, that allowed me to become more frugal and not uh, freely spending like maybe I was doing in my early to mid 20s, late 20s. So now I'm in my later twenties, uh, heading to 30. And, uh, you know, I, I learned how to manage money for the first time in my life, really. And it was actually a good season for me. I started my own business. I am my own boss now, essentially, even though I was a sole proprietor before, but now I don't have anybody to answer to, but myself, I have to feed my family. I have to show um, that I, I can perform to, you know, give my wife and kids food on the table, pay rent, not piss off my friend. And build something because I still, even though I'm, you know, licking my wounds at the time, I still want to do something new and try to rebuild, uh, which I never thought I would be able to. And I did. Now, today you said you shut down the flipping business. You had it going. Did you repick it up after after all of this happened? Like, how did that? It was 19 years running. How how did you maintain that business through through all of what you went so we, through? We temporarily stopped, obviously, in 2008 <laughs> to 2009. Sure. Um, um, well, I technically, I guess I probably flipped for 16 years. If you want to, there you go. You take uh, it. If you want to take out some time where, where we stopped, sure, um, sure. but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you the next chapter in the life, um, yeah. which is I got all these listings, these pocket listings. I was, I saw a package of, of 25 town homes and I called my buddy up, um, said, Hey, you know, we're working well together. We're kinder spirits. I've got these awesome homes here. And you come from money. Uh, his parents were bankers in Kentucky. I said, you know, people, I've got the product. Let's see how we can work together and resell these, these townhomes at the time, probably worth like $250,000. Now we got them for 13 grand at the time. They're probably worth 50. I said, I've got them under, I can get these under contract. They want me to list them for 18,000. But I think if you and I can start an LLC and you're the owner and I'm just like some kind of recipient of 50% of the proceeds, 
we can set this up where it's legal and we can offer on it and and somehow we can contract these things and and resell to some people some of the old clients i have and some of the people that you know in your family that might have money mm. he's like that's a great idea let's do it <laughs> so i had to orchestrate everything and we didn't know what we were doing we we're just two young guys i think i was like uh 27 at the time and he was 29 uh heading into 30 and it was only a year. Actually, this was only a year within uh, bankruptcy. So make $30,000 that first year, get these listings. And I called them up. We did this. Uh, I said, hey, the bank, we, we made an offer to the bank. Uh, they were wanting to list them for 18. We offered 13. No, actually, we offered 11. They came back to 15. We came back to 13 grand. And we contracted all 25 of them. And we had to put $5,000 in non-refundable earnest money. Well, back then, him and I both couldn't even come up with $5,000 and or if we could, it would have hurt us. So we called everybody. We had three days to come up with uh, the non-refundable earnest money check. So we called everybody we knew. We did a parade of uh, investors into uh, like a tour of homes into the, the, the townhome package, showed everybody around. We put out prices, brought a bunch of people there, kind of put them in front of each other. Everybody knew that we were serious uh, players in the industry. And this was our first big deal. And they didn't know that. But we're like, hey, we're we're auctioning this off. Do you want this? Uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah. So we we literally like within seventy two hours, not only did we meet the earnest money, um, we had twenty five townhomes. We had um, every unit contracted. Uh, some of them had were contracted with uh, two or three investors, and then there were some little one offs there. But yeah. we had every unit contracted with a thousand dollars in non refundable earnest money on each. So worst case scenario, if crap hit the fan yeah, 25. we paid the bank five grand we would pocket 20 he would get 10 i would get 10 best case scenario we sell it we can make 150 grand um these were all cash investors they were you know wealthy people have money back then you know probably same as now if we go into a, i don't think we're going to go into a major recession but if we go into a moderate or a small one people are going to have money that are that have money yeah 13 grand was a good bit of money to us but not to them we literally like within seven to 10 days, we closed those loans. Uh, this is another funny story in that moment. We, we didn't have the money and nobody was going to invest in somebody uh, in bankruptcy. So we called an attorney up, said, hey, can you, you know, a lot of investors know this now because of social media and stuff. I said, hey, can you do like a uh, pass through funding um, um, thing where, where the investors wire the money in and you can kind of close our loan and then let them sign and then re and send us the money. I mean, I mean, close our contract, pay off the bank and let them sign all on the same day and just give us the, the margin, the difference. He's like, yeah, we call like five people. Nobody could do it. But he, he said he could do it. So we literally set it up back to back closings within one year, maybe 13 months of going in bankruptcy, making, you know, literally losing everything, um, making $30,000 in that first year out of bankruptcy my business partner and I split 150 grand and he got 75. I got 75. I'm sitting there looking they, and the attorney had to do them all separate. So we had all this stack of checks for 25 townhomes or whatever. And I'm not only did that, that we get commission checks too. So I'm having to look at all these deposit in the bank account. I'm like, Tiffany, we're back in business. <laughs> so well, I, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say with her though, when you when you went into this transaction for her, was she like kind of PTSD on this? Was she was she like I, I no, I don't know if you or was she, hey, look, it's a good deal, let's roll. I didn't really include my wife in that kind of stuff back then. She's like, whatever. 
just make us some money. Give us, we, we gotta have, we gotta feed the kids. That makes um, sense. That makes I, sense. I didn't, you know, she, she, I don't think she really was con- uh, cognitive of what was going on, but uh, my business partner and I, he became my business partner after that deal, uh, full-time business partner. Um, he, he had almost lost everything. He was one of the students that I had put together with the, with, um, Oh gosh, what am I trying to say? With with, with the different stuff going on before yeah. uh, 2008, he was one of my students and he had a double lung collapse. He went down to probably like 15 grand in the bank. Uh, even though his family came for money, he was very prideful. And I mean that in a good way. He just never wanted to go to them and say, hey, I'm hurting here and, and financially because um, he wanted to prove himself to his dad and, and his granddad and stuff like that. Sure. But he would never talk about it to them publicly, but to me and him, like, Dude, we were both hurting together and uh, financially, and he was hurting physically too. Yeah, sure. He, he got through all that. And then next thing you know, we can both provide a nice little savings account for both of our families. Yeah. I said, dude, I said, Will, I said, I think this could be a full-time business because guess what? I got two more packages just like that. I got an apartment building up the road that they're giving me now. And then I got another package of townhomes, about 20 townhomes in that same community. I think we can do this all over again. So literally... We started a wholesaling business out of this, and I didn't even know what mm. wholesaling was back then. Right, right. Yeah, I don't. I think YouTube had just come along, maybe <laughs> yeah, around that time. Sure. Like nobody even knew what wholesaling was, so I started wholesaling. Uh, we figured it out for ourselves. There again, I'm leading my leading, the blind is leading the blind, and yeah. uh, school of hard knocks. We learned a lot. I think I could have been a lot further net worth and things right now if I had a mentor at the time. But started a wholesaling business. We did that for two or three years, and then by 2012. Uh, we made a name with ourselves for investors who could always bring deals together. So I did kind of like a, a, a JV program. I was reading in a magazine. Uh, it was Personal Real Estate Investor Magazine. I think they're Think Realty Magazine now. I was reading in uh, the magazine about some people in Texas around 2011, 2012. These guys were borrowing money from investors. And uh, you know then they would give them an equity split, kind of like people do with syndications. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like they were buying people, they were buying property with no money out of their own pocket. I said, Will, so look at this article. These guys are charging, they're paying people 7% off of their money to go buy property. And then they're fixing them and putting them on rental portfolio where they're flipping them and profiting it and splitting the profits. I said, these guys are giving 7%, we're giving 15%. Hmm. So we called the, what's <laughs> just the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah, yeah that's good. <laughs> so we give them 50% equity plus a 15% pref. Of course, guess what happens? Yeah. We run articles in this magazine and all the investors flock to us to Atlanta. Next thing you know, we're uh, within a couple of years, we're flipping 150 homes a year. Wow. We're realizing we're killing the- ourselves for very little money at the time. Did you hit the return? Yeah. Yeah. These guys were getting like 72% IRR. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we were insane. killing ourselves. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But you're, um, you're back in the game. Wow. So man, you just went after it. So, all right. Yeah. Let's flash forward then a bit, just in the interest of time. I want to make sure I honor yep. your time. So you've got a five-star tar- five SDR success. Obviously, you're in the short-term rental space. And you alluded to it a little bit, like, you know, maybe you, you've you leveraged up more recently. You're doing bridge loans to acquire. You said that you had to have 25 properties. What's Give me the, the, the little bit of backstory on SDRs. When did you enter that market? And when did you scale in that market? So... Uh, while Will and I were in the flipping business in around 2015, you know, like, hey, we're making really good money, several hundred thousand dollars a year a piece, um, like five, six hundred thousand dollars a year. I said, hey, uh, actually, he came to me, he's like, hey, I'm going to go buy me a, a vacation home. He and I explored it before thinking about going into one 
uh, together, but we never did. So the year afterwards, he bought one. I'm like, you know, that's a good idea. I'm going to buy one too. So my wife and I, we were so broke when we got married. Uh, we spent our honeymoon. Uh, none of our families had money. So we, any little bit of money people gave us, uh, we went down to uh, uh, Savannah, Georgia with it. And that became a piece of our heart in Savannah, Georgia. And I always had that back in our, my mindset, like, I want to revisit. So we revisited Savannah, Georgia, fell in love with the city all over again, uh, like 10 years later after uh, we got married and had our honeymoon there. So we ended up putting an offer on a home and got a home. And that was our first short-term rental. Uh, we rented it out a little bit here and there. And then Airbnb uh, tried that out and we were making the mortgage. And then shortly after that, then I think Airbnb was coming a little bit more mainstream Sure. and we're starting to make more money. I'm like, this is great. So a couple of years go by after that, we're like, Hey, Will and I are making so much money with these flips on these flip homes. We cut out the pref rate. Now we're doing 50, 50, just straight up equity on these flip homes. And then we also accumulated a hundred rentals and we just cashed out, uh, um, on a bunch of them, you know, put it, put in like a million dollars a piece in our bank, uh, bank account. So I bought two more properties. I bought one in the North Georgia mountains, bought another one in South Carolina. And by then, you know, we didn't have a ton of competition. Whereas I was making money hand over fist. So at that point, uh, Will and I, between 2015, to 2018, realized these rentals are boring. Let's get out of, let's just do flips only. So we sold a hundred rentals between 2015, wow. 2018. I wish we'd kept them to, to last year, <laughs> but yeah, we'd made sure. so much more, uh, but we cashed out. And then we ultimately you know, decided that we're, we've done pretty well for ourselves. We want out of flipping. We're going to, you know, walk away from our partnership together in a good way. So in 2018, we walked away from partnership and I, I didn't know what to do. I took a couple months off and I just started my whole, my uh, flipping business all over again independently. And I was doing 60 to 80 homes a year uh, uh, up until last year. And um, I realized I needed a, I, I, in that process, I had built up another six more homes. So as of last year, I had eight homes. I said, these things are really making good money. And I'm, I've been doing this for since 2015, most people haven't. Everybody's buying them. I'm like, interest rates are low, so it only makes sense for me to go accumulate as much. So I, I shut down the flipping business in July of last year, uh, of 2021, and we'd already made like one and a half million last year in flipping. I'm like, this is a good, this is a good high. Like Jerry Seinfeld, walk away from, uh, you know, flipping while I'm on a high, uh, and and we shut it down. And then from there, I started moving my flip cruise to North Georgia because it was only an hour and a half away from Atlanta to North Georgia. And we basically took our flip business and put it into North Georgia, flipped a bunch of short-term rentals. Uh, instead of selling them, we started renting them out. Uh, and I bought a couple more all over the South. And, and next thing you know, by March of this year, I had, I think right around 24, 25 homes. And we built up a team. Everybody's running everything behind the scenes. It's a lot easier for us now. And uh, they do exceedingly well. And I've been teaching people how to do this in my spare time uh, over the last couple of years, you know, little one-off mentorships, uh, private coaching. Uh, I did a, I did a podcast up until April of this year and I'm about to restart it again, but we, we were kind of like doing this, build this community. And we got like 2,400 people in this community. I've got about uh, 12 people in our, uh, one-on-one mentorship. Now we haven't really been advertising. I haven't really been pushing it. I've hosted a couple of events and we've had some good, uh, rave reviews with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've helped a lot of people build up, uh, their first and second, and even their third short-term rental portfolio, uh, a bunch of my own personal friends, been buying in the North Georgia mountains. And we've been te uh, teaching these people exactly what we've done. 
And in the process, I've hired some friends to come work for me with my own portfolio. Our own portfolio is thriving. Now we're um, doing a couple different things to grow and, and to get into luxury homes and working with Michael Blanc to uh, raise a fund uh, so that we can go buy luxury homes now. And uh, yeah, all is good. And, and in the process, I'm teaching people. So that's what five-star STR success. We're leading yeah. five-star STR success. Uh, we're a great five-star STR uh, super host. Uh, our Southern Charm VACAY.com brand uh, has uh, many, many homes all over the South uh, that are boutique type of homes. And we're trying to accumulate more and we're trying to up-level our portfolio as well. So we're also, not only are we buying more, we're trying to sell off our lower income producers once a quarter and utilize, because I did a lot of value adds, took my flipping mentality and flipped a lot of these homes. Um, so we got a ton of equity in them. So we took our lower income producers and we're extracting that equity through 1031s and then also, uh, you know, buying a, a higher income producer. So we're up leveling our portfolio while we're buying more and we're just having a great time doing what we do and at the same time training people. What's your your outlook going forward as we go into late 2022, maybe into a, a dip, a recession, a correction, whatever it might be in the short-term rental space in particular? Um, what's your outlook? I mean, I, you know, what what risks do you see? Is it is it drying up? Is it get is it speeding up because you know gas prices have gone up and people are afraid to fly? I, I don't know. Like what, what is the what is your outlook on STR or is it is that too broad a question? No, 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 no. So I did see some downturn in the ADR, the average daily rate earlier this year. Um, then we made a lot of moves behind the scenes and we've shifted uh, our marketing and it's done really well for us. Uh, so our, even though maybe we have a little bit of less ADR now, I'm getting a little bit higher occupancy because we've become better operators and we know how to market better. So we've done a lot of different things that's helped our brand out. Um, also, I'm, I'm buying very intentionally. I'm buying in markets now that most people don't know about. So I bought in Blue Ridge, Georgia before most people knew that knew what a Blue Ridge, Georgia was. I bought in <laughs> Gulf Shores, Alabama sure. um, two years ago before everybody started buying literally right afterwards. So I, I, I buy in these markets before people get into these markets, uh, which I've been pretty good at identifying. So I'm personally not worried for my own portfolio. But for the general public, will short-term rentals be affected if we have an economy shift? Sure. That's why you got to go back to my story. You got to have some freaking money in the bank. Um, mm -hmm. You've got to be willing to you know, wait it out and and try to work with your lenders. You know, I think people will work with you now if you ever get in a bind. That's why I was so frantic uh, over the summer. Like we had a lot of properties on bridge loans and the market was shifting. So I literally shut down the podcast, did everything I can do. We refinanced everything. And I just refinanced my last couple of properties on the bridge loans. Mm. So we're safe. We've hit home run. Uh, we hit the grand slam. Now we're building again. I literally nice. shut down our building phase and going forward. Uh, now we are building. But yeah, for me, I think short-term rentals are here. They're the future. Uh, you know, We're getting into boutique hotels now. I'm building one out. Uh, we built, we bought an old tire shop, me and, a, um, I do I have a hard money loan business too. Uh, mm. so one of my operators, he's become good friends with me. So him and I are, uh, we bought a tire shop. We're demoing it down and we're rebuilding in a very nice downtown, uh, um, market in the suburb of Atlanta. We're doing a commercial redevelopment there for a, for a hotel, small one. Um, I'm I'm ambitious about the future. I think this is the new wave. I think hotels are here to stay, but I think Airbnbs are going to put a squeeze on them in the next couple of decades. Makes sense. You um, are you what you said marketing? What are some, if you don't mind sharing, a couple tips on how you 
improved your marketing, you said, in order to uh, improve your uh, occupancy rate, even though the average daily rate might be down a little bit. Any tips on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people think that short-term rentals are a set it and forget it kind of thing. You can put it in Airbnb and VRBO and you just leave it alone. Of course, people know about dynamic pricing. You know, I used to use, but yeah, I'm pricing. Now we use price labs, but literally my operations people are right behind uh, um, the computer every single day. And every single morning when they get up, they're changing prices daily. So Airbnb specifically, which driving probably 90% of our business, they like to see the algorithm uh, or the algorithm likes to see the pricing change every single day. So literally like I'm not trying to get hundred percent occupancy and I definitely don't want anything less than 70, but what I'm trying to get is 70%. So every single day, let's just say a property is $200 a night and I'm sitting at 69% occupancy. I want to get it to 70% or just a little above because that's where I make my most money. I don't want to have it too high because I'm under uh, pricing and I don't want to have it, um, you know, so, or yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to have it too low. So overpricing versus underpricing. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought here. No, you got Yeah, you. so we're, so, <laughs> so if it's at 69%, I'm going to go down five bucks uh, for the base price. And I was going to ask price. just a few bucks, right? Like you could just yeah, drop yeah. a 295 or 195 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Then if it shoots to tomorrow, we're going to go and it goes up to 76% because we had a lot of bookings that night. Um, we're going to go up five bucks because now I'm not at 70%. Mm. And literally, like that, I probably portfolio wise, we, I'm in a private short-term rental mastermind with four guys from GoBundance, uh, high-level operators. Um, I'm the only one doing this, and and I've looked at their their calendars and price labs, and they're 29% occupancy, this and that. Like well, a couple of them are in Texas. Like, dude, we're killing it, man. We're always at 70% occupancy on probably 90% of our properties. Um, I got two of them that I'm stagnant with, so we're about to go upgrade the amenities in them. But like, in uh, that's another thing you can do too is. If you have a stagnant property, every couple of years, your properties could go because of a mass adoption and a lot of people that are getting into the business. Uh, you need to make it unique and different. Um, a good book is Seth uh, Godin's book, Purple Cow, uh, basically saying that if you if you want to uh, have people take notice, you need to do something that's remarkable, set yourself apart so that everybody does take notice. And when they do, now you'll be unique and they want to do business with you. Um, best marketing book I've ever read. And I've been, you know, I always recommend that everybody. And that's hmm. kind of that's kind of what we do now that I've got a couple of duds that I see. Guess what we're going to do in January when it kind of slows down? We're going to put in uh, in ground trampolines. I'm going to go in and put in like these these in North Georgia. And there's not a lot of people that have pools. I've studied it out, so we're going to put in these cheap little fiberglass insert pools. So next spring, when everybody's ready to go travel again, we're going to be crushing the competition because we're unique now. Um, we're always thinking like that. And that's, that's kind of, that's some basic stuff right there. I mean, obviously there's more no, great. For, for time's sake. There's yeah, no, yeah, no, that's great. Plus yeah, you don't want to give it all away, right? Like you get, you know, you gotta keep <laughs> sure. some secrets to you. So, uh, no, that's amazing, man. I, I love the, uh, I love the, I love the story. And, and I, you know, it's funny. I, I, there's a part of me that wonders, does everybody have to go through what you went through? Like you said, you didn't have the tribe around you of millionaires or mentors or whatever, or go abundance way back when in 08, but there's so many people that have gone through what you went through, especially in that time in the real estate space that, you know, the hero, hero story afterward is, is, you know, a rebirth. I think of Jake Harris, I think of Grant Warrington, I think of you, I think of so many of these guys that literally were out of money, negative net worth after being, you know, flying high, uh, Cody Bugan. I mean, I, I could go down the list of GoBundance guys that have gone through this and I see where they are today. And you said it, you had a, you had a reset on spending habits. You had a reset on, on certain things and, 
you know, I, I be honest, part of me is like, man, I never had that, that dip like you guys, like, do I have to? <laughs> No, this God, God, right. God willing, you won't. I hope nobody I know. goes through it. I mean, it, I know, it definitely you, it was like it definitely sharpened me. Um, sure, uh, you know, for the better. But God, I hope nobody goes through that. It sucks. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. It's it's amazing, and there's plenty of people that haven't. But that that journey that you went through and your reclamation and coming back up and where you are today, it's really inspiring. I mean that truly. It's it's really incredible to me. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you. I've got a. I mean, uh, I think you guys talk numbers on the podcast couple of them that I've listened to. Yep. Um, you know, I've got an $8 million net worth. It's not, it's not a lot to me. Uh, I, I'm hoping to get to 10 within by the end of the next year or more, but dude, if, if I didn't go through what I went through and I had mentors around me, I'd probably be sitting at a $25 million net worth right now. Cause I'm a hustler. I'm a go-getter. You yeah. Know, the, the, I would have been, I would have made a lot more money if I didn't go travel like crazy over the last 10 years, ever since we lost <laughs> it. And I'm like, uh, this I'm gonna go start seeing the world. We've been on really badass <laughs> luxury trips. We spent 150 grand a year, um, uh, you know, traveling all over. Yeah, and it, we, we we enjoy it, you know. Yeah. So I could have been there, should have been there, but I didn't, and I'm not, and I'm just taking you know one day at a time and enjoying life through the process. I love it. I love it. Let's wrap this with a question from the GoBundance Card Game, and the question: uh, the Six of Diamonds. What mentor? Uh, this is kind of a theme for you. So I'm curious, what mentor have you most recently sought out and what have you learned from them? Uh, Michael Blanc, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, not only because he's my neighbor and friend, the guy's just really, really smart. And then I watched his <laughs> stuff last night. We had a private uh, session. Uh, I don't want to tell his net worth out, but he's got a nice net worth. And I'm like, yeah, he's been in this a l- half the time I've been in this game and uh, he's only 10 years older than me uh, or something like that. Maybe yeah. 12, 52, 53, maybe. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he's worth a lot more than me yeah. and he's been in a lot less than me. I'm like, I need to start borrowing other people's money in a fund, uh, whether I do multifamily or short term rentals or hotels or whatever. I think that's the way to work it. I've been using my own money uh, and getting my own leverage, but I think I'm going to, you know, I've been watching a lot of his videos and I've went through his Michael Blanc brands. I'm finishing up and we're working with a couple of his business partners as my mentors and stuff. Um, they're going to be getting behind me, but yeah, dude, they he's a smart dude and I'm blessed to have him as my neighbor. I mean, he lives right up the road from me. It's great. Dude in San Francisco at the uh, champion event, I was sitting at a table with him and I think it was Jim do. I can't remember who the other guy was. I think it was Jim do and another smart guy, right? They're they in the financial space and they were talking, this was in what June. So it's kind of the beginning of rates are about to climb. What's going to happen. That whole discussion there was really about that, right? Like this, this uh, upcoming recession. And it got to a level of debate between them that all I could do, there was like two of us, three of us sitting there. All I could do to contribute was like, yeah, Michael, get him. Like, I don't know what he said, but I bet you, you know, something more than he does in the moment. And then they just kept one up each other. It was like, at a certain point, it was gibberish to me. Like the the amount of knowledge pouring out of his head, Michael. Yeah. Like and a, a lot of a, a lot of learned knowledge from. He went through. You know, he had restaurants in 08 and all of that. He, everything broke down for him. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when you say when you say it and emphasize it two three times, he's a smart guy. Smart guy. Holy crap, is he a smart guy? <laughs> yeah, he's he's a, he's a fun guy too. You can sit out and smoke cigars and sh- shoot some uh, shotguns, have a nice glass of wine with him too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, man, this has been great. Uh, Where can folks learn more about you? Where do you want to direct them? Website, social media, whatever you'd like. Yeah. Instagram at Brandon G Thompson with an H and then uh, five star STR success.com. 
A uh, couple of my links on there are not updated, but we're revising and restarting the podcast um, within the next 30 days. So uh, we're going to be going at it to teach people how to have five-star STR success. Love it, man. It'll be in the show notes, both on podcast apps and uh, YouTube. And Brandon, man, I hope to see you at an event soon. It was great, great, great getting to know you more. Yeah. Wish I could have been in uh, San Francisco, um, maybe, maybe in Atlanta or Dallas. It'll, it'll be Dallas for me. Atlanta, it's like a month after we move to the DR, my wife won't have it. But two months later, I think I can convince her. Sounds great. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate you.